Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Dwell on Truth Show. Happy 2022 to you guys. Yes, indeed. It's the second Sunday in January for our radio audience. Back to our uh, Gospel of John pattern that we've been following for the last however how many months now? Four months. What is the topic that people can expect to hear about today? Today, one of the big topics is Jesus, and who was he? Is Jesus a lunatic, a liar, or the Lord God? We're reading a historical account written by an eyewitness who said that which we have seen and heard and touched with our own hands that's what we're proclaiming to you exactly and John was one of his closest disciples so Mm -hmm. we're going to be looking at what John said about these things and even though some people in our audience a lot of people in our audience may oppose the true knowledge of Jesus we don't want to dismiss all of their questions that people haven't heard a rational response to yes but we also don't want people to think that they can reject Jesus without a good reason. And I would challenge our listeners, if you think you have a good reason, I'd love to hear it, for why why do you reject Jesus? We love to hear from you guys. In fact, the more we hear from you, the better. If there are questions that you have about a passage that we've gone over, or even something that um, that isn't directly related to the passage that you've just always wondered about, I guarantee you, if you've wondered about it, there are other listeners that have as well. So you can reach out to us on our website for our ministry, um, which is Open Air Campaigners NorCal, is oacnorcal.org. You can reach out to us there. Or questions at dwellontruth.org. And we would love to hear your questions and have the opportunity to answer them online. Today we're, we have four segments we're going to look at. First, Jesus' relationship with his brothers. What did they think about him? And then Jesus' relationship with skeptics or others who opposed him. We'll see a lot of their quotes, what they think about Jesus, and Jesus' response to them. We'll see Jesus' unique teaching. That's a third section. And then the one way that people try to deny the truth, which is by demonizing Jesus, which we see a lot today. People saying God's actually the bad guy in the story. This is something my sister says, that Satan is the good guy compared to how many people God has killed in the Old Testament. That's true. It generally is more directed at God the Father than at Jesus, but yeah, people are constantly trying to get away from what God has actually said and who he actually is according to Scripture to kind of... Uh, form him in, him in their own image. Why would they do that? Why would Jesus be opposed? I mean, if Jesus is perfect, it seems like everyone would accept him. Everyone should accept him. I think it really goes back to the, the same problem that we had in the Garden of Eden, and that's the problem of pride. We don't want to have to submit ourselves to anybody else if we don't have to, and certainly not to a God who, if he is who he said he is, and if we have to follow him, it's going to change in our, our entire lives in ways that we may not be comfortable with. That might be the motive for some people. I don't claim to know everybody's motives, but I do believe that Jesus does Mm -hmm. since he is God. We believe he is God in human form. And so I think we'll see some insights in Jesus's answer, how he responds to some of their claims. And hopefully this will speak to you who are not yet a believer. I like to call you not yet believers because I have hope that you will become a believer. We pray. Yes, absolutely. 
Um, so with that, I think this is going to be a challenging text to get into. But before we get into John chapter 7, maybe it would be helpful just to do a little bit of review, because we don't want to take the Bible, you know, cherry-pick verses out of context, but we want to study it in context. Is that okay, Dan, if I do a big picture? Uh, what have we seen so far? I think that's a great idea. Let's do that. So to sum up, the first four chapters of the Gospel of John, Jesus is revealed. Jesus is revealed in many ways. He's revealed as God. He's revealed as the one who gives life, the one who is the Messiah, the one who causes us to have eternal life if we believe in him as the Son of God, God the Son, the Word. Jesus is revealed. The section we're in now, chapter 5 through 11, we see Jesus is opposed. Jesus is opposed by all kinds of people. Even some of the people that were followers, the last thing we read and, and studied in chapter 6 was many of his own disciples turned away from following him because of some of his difficult teachings that they wanted to interpret literally, but it would be cannibalism if you took it literally. So talked about the bread and the wine and his body and blood. Yeah, that, yeah. that would be tough. And Jesus said in that case, the reason why some people did not believe, it was because John chapter 6, verse 64. But there were some of you who do not believe, he said, for Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who was going to betray him. I think 65 is also important. It says, this is why I told you no one can come to me unless the Father has granted it to him. In verse 66, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So there's a spiritual truth that those who hear from the Father do believe in Jesus because he draws them to them. Yes, that really does say something about the identity of Jesus. As we go through the the liar, lunatic Lord thing today, think about the statements that Jesus is making and ask yourself, could a mere man in good conscience who is sane <laughs> say these things? So let's uh, let's get into the text for today, shall we? Starting in just verse 1, John chapter 7, for the first 10 verses. This section is Jesus with his brothers. Okay, so John chapter 7, starting with verse 1. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea, because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that it's work are evil. You go up to the feast. I'm not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. So that's John 7, 1 through 10. Again, I always have to study it in context. Verse 1 gives us the location where Jesus was doing most of his ministry. It says, Jesus went about in Galilee, mm -hmm. which isn't an individual city. It's a region in the northern part of Israel, north of Samaria. And it says he would not go about in Judea, which is the southernmost area 
in Israel. Why wouldn't he go there? It says, because the Jews were seeking to kill him. They had been planning to assassinate him, basically, to catch him and, and kill him since he claimed to be equal with God earlier in chapter 5. Yeah, that's a, that's a big deal. That was actually one of a number of things that were punishable by death, but it's blasphemy. If it wasn't true. If it wasn't true, of course, yes. So that's the question. Is he Lord or is he liar or lunatic? So the plot to kill Jesus kept him from going to Jerusalem at this time. By the way, the Feast of Booths is in September. Yep. It's a feast festival remembering the when Israel lived in the wilderness between when they were rescued out of Egypt before they settled in the Promised Land. They lived in these little huts with like picture of these grass palm branches for 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 a roof, and you could see through them to the stars. Yes, They're, every year the Jews still celebrate this, where they would set up a little booth maybe on their balcony or something, really? and sleep out there in sleeping bags and teach their kids about hey, you can see the stars. I think Got, I've actually seen that on like apartment uh, yeah. uh, balconies before. Yeah, now that I think of it, it's still something they celebrate today. Yeah, and it's a bit of a harvest festival too, because it's at that time of the year when they're thanking God for the harvest as well. So uh, a couple of reasons to celebrate there. Yeah, for his provision, for salvation, mm -hmm. uh, in spite of them not having a permanent home at that time. Yes. And that's a lesson for Christians. There, I think a, a lot of the feasts, they're foreshadowing, pointing toward what Jesus would do for us. As Christians, we're strangers and, and pilgrims in this earth, waiting for our heavenly home. God is faithful to protect us and preserve us until he takes us home. Yeah. And, and I think particularly, it, it seems like things have almost gotten stranger lately, and there's a more of an animosity toward spiritual Christian things in particular. And it's a good thing if you're believers out there, you, we can take comfort in that. We can take comfort in God's provision that he has promised it. Mm -hmm. will, he will preserve us. Yep. Jesus is like the booth. In fact, the word dwell, for dwell on truth, uh, comes from like John chapter 1 when it says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, or he tabernacled among us. He is the tent, if you will, that we dwell in, or he dwells in our tent, the tent of our bodies. Um, so there's a there's a spiritual mystery there of this temporary home that we're in we're, as we're waiting to uh, be clothed in our heavenly dwelling. But that's a, that's a message for Christians. This Today's message is more to address the objections of non-believers. And so in this section, we see some non-believers, and it's surprising who they are. Yeah, his brothers of all people. But in some ways, that makes sense. You know, can you imagine... Number one, having your brother as God incarnate, you know, and mom always asking, well, why don't you clean up your room like Jesus always does? Why don't you eat all of your vegetables like Jesus? Because, I mean, he was he was perfect as a man, but he was perfect as a baby and as a child, too. Kind of a mind boggling thing. Yeah. You can imagine there may be some animosity between yeah, the brothers and Jesus, some jealousy. But I, I'm glad that John gives us some insight here because I'm not always great at reading in between the lines what people are really saying. But in verse 5, it says, not even his brothers believed in him. So this this whole suggestion that they give for his ministry, how to succeed and be famous, and yeah. they really missed the point of what his ministry was. They did. They seemed to think that he was trying to make a big name for himself, to become famous, to get 
earthly glory, really. But we see here and we see other places that that wasn't his primary goal at all. He never sought his own glory. Now, of course, the Father intends to glorify the Son, and the Holy Spirit always bears witness about Jesus and glorifies him. But you never see Jesus do anything just to get recognition from people. And that's his humility in action there. He doesn't need adulation from people. In fact, many times he avoided having people spread the word about him. He said, be quiet about me. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't always work, though. Some of the things he did were so amazing. He would say, no, keep it quiet. People would go out and spread. Well, it made it difficult for him to do ministry being at the peak of his popularity. There was no room for people to come into the house where he was teaching. They had to dig a hole in the roof. And and another, I think, big purpose that he had on earth was to, to take those people, his disciples and those closest to him, and really disciple them to prepare to carry his message forward. On this side of the cross and the empty tomb, Jesus' last words before going to heaven were, go into all the world and preach the gospel. I just want to point that out just in case anyone says, then why are you evangelist? Why are you on the radio? Why are you trying to spread this message of Jesus if Jesus doesn't want that? Well, it, it wasn't the purpose of his first coming to have people follow him indefinitely on earth. What would be his main purpose? We've been asked this on the Flight 1080 show. What is the purpose of Jesus? If his brothers got it wrong, well, what is the true mission? Well, the ultimate purpose, of course, was to live the perfect life that we should have lived but never could and die the death that we deserved on the cross, shedding his blood for our sake so that through his perfect sacrifice, we could be made right with God. Jesus said, I came to give my life as a ransom for many. In another place, he said, I came to testify to the truth, testify of the truth. I didn't come to be served but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. It's a good goal for us to aspire to. Now, does God want to glorify Jesus? Is that a bad thing for Jesus to be famous? No, not at all. In, in fact, a Jesus is God in human form to really make that kind of that connection, that personal touch. Um, and, and that's just an amazing thing to think about, isn't it? That, that God would come down and touch humanity. Absolutely. And his brothers knew him as a man. One of the other gospels says that there was a time when Jesus was teaching and his mothers and brothers thought that he was out of his mind. And they sent to have Jesus come out to meet them outside the the meeting place. And he said, who are my mother and brothers? These are my mother and brothers pointing at his disciples who seek the will of God. Mary did come to believe in him as the Messiah, as did his brothers. I think it's Acts chapter 1 that talks about that. Yeah, after the resurrection is when we see that Mary and the Lord's brothers were with the church in in Jerusalem waiting for the Holy Spirit in those days of prayer before the church was established. And who are his brothers? There is a couple notable ones. Yeah, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas are the ones that are listed. I think it's in the Gospel of Matthew. Mm -hmm. And James became one of the leaders in the early church. Was he the the leader of the church in Jerusalem? Uh, um, there's a couple of James 
Jameses. He's there's one James who was martyred early on, so that's that's not him. But the brother of Jesus, James, uh, did become a pillar in the church. In fact, he's the one that wrote the book of James, yeah. the letter of James. And Jude, the Lord's brother, wrote the little epistle of Jude. Yes. And he he doesn't call himself the Lord's brother there. He says, "I'm Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James." Yes. So I think they had been humbled over time that <laughs> this story of them not being believers for a time probably was humbling to tell after they became believers and they lifted up Jesus and, and served him and worshiped him. So this is a time where they doubted and they would later become believers. And that's our hope again for our listeners. Absolutely. Just as happened to Dan and me, we, we didn't always believe as strongly as we believe now. And maybe you struggle with that, with doubt. Maybe you've heard things from your family that have caused you to question uh, what really is the purpose of God. Are we just here as experiments and God is just trying to figure out what people are going to do with this life? I've heard that before. Oh, why? Even from some professing Christians. Yeah, it's, me too. It's bizarre. But, it is bizarre. you know, when we come to Christ, it's not as if all the thinking of the world just vanishes. It takes studying the Bible and being humble enough to be corrected by the Bible to correct that. Yeah, that's really the key, isn't it? It's, it the questions are not a bad thing. Mm -hmm. um, if we can grasp a hold to that that idea of humility. So speaking of Jesus's brothers and what was it that they said to him? What was what were they really suggesting here? I think that they were suggesting that he go up publicly and, and basically make a spectacle of himself, not necessarily in a bad way, but to prove who he claimed to be because he was making some pretty big claims. Yeah, no one who works in secret if he seeks to be known openly would do what he's doing. So go show yourself to the world. Go to Judea. I, we talked about this before the show, but... They're telling him to go to Judea, but we were just told people in Judea were seeking to kill him. Yeah. I wondered if Jesus's brothers might have been trying to put Jesus to the test. Let's see. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see how Judea receives you. Yeah. At the first, it seems a little bit outlandish. But if you think about some of the other stuff that we see in in history and scripture, like you talk about uh, Joseph and his brothers, his brothers, you know, were jealous enough that they first threw him into a cistern, hoping he would die in there, and then sold him into slavery just to get them out of him out of their hair. Mm -hmm. And Cain and Abel, they yeah. Cain killed his brother because of jealousy. Right from the beginning. A lot of the Pharisees, the religious leaders, their hatred from Jesus stemmed from their jealousy that people were following him instead of them. And we're going to see some of that in this. So, But it doesn't say, so I'm, I want to be careful not to read too much into the, in between the lines, but it does say not even his brothers believed in him. The Bible says Jesus had brothers. That's a side point. But would these be full brothers, half-brothers, step-brothers? That's another good question, particularly from our, uh, our Roman Catholic friends. Since the Roman Catholic Church believes in the perpetual virginity of Mary, the idea that she remained a virgin after she had Jesus, these couldn't be her natural children. So they think he's a brother from another mother? <laughs> Something like that. I mean, it's, it, it sounds funny, but yeah, exactly. 
exactly that, because there's this idea that somehow the, the sex or the birthing process would make Mary impure. And of course, according to, you know, some of the, uh, the Old Testament cleanliness laws, I guess that was true. But this scripture seems to say something very different. The argument can be that, um, that Jesus' brothers were really um, the children of, of Joseph from a previous marriage. But I think that's really going beyond what the text says. Yeah. In Luke, it says that Joseph kept Mary a virgin until after Jesus was born, and then he knew her. So That intel word is really the key one there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I think we need to press on because we've been recording for 25 minutes, and <laughs> yes. we have a 54-minute show. But uh, any other thoughts before we wrap up this first section with Jesus with his brother? No, I think that, that covers all the key points. Someone might think when you're reading this, he says, I'm not going to the feast right now. Uh, but then he goes up right after they leave. Was Jesus lying or misleading them? Or what the distinction? What was Jesus saying? The distinction is how he was going up. Because they were encouraging him to go up and make a show of it. To, to show... I mean, he already had followers. He already had people that believed he was something special and processional as a, as a celebrity. You know, And of course, that would benefit them if their brother was this huge religious celebrity. But that wasn't what he was about. So he went up separately. He went up quietly. I think it's both. It's how he went up, mm-hmm. not publicly, but privately, yes. as they had suggested. And it's when, because Jesus says twice, my time has not yet come, yeah. or not yet fully come the second time he says it. Mm-hmm. So he's not saying, I'm never going to go up. He's just saying, I'm not going up right now. And he reserved the right to go when, he, when it's time to go. And he doesn't take his orders from his brothers. He takes orders from his father, and Heavenly that, Father. That's a theme that we see throughout the book, throughout the Gospels, actually, is kind of a good example for us, isn't it? It is. It is. We need to really be careful to be prayerful and to do things in God's time as well. Do we do things when we want to or when God wants to? I I don't want to get ahead of God and he might want me to do something, but I need to make sure I'm doing it in the time that he wants me to do it. Yeah. That can be a struggle though, can't it? Yeah. It's interesting that he says that about the brothers, your time is always here. Basically for the world, like who's not going by God's timeline. Time for glorifying yourself is always. Remember what YouTube's slogan used to be? I don't. Broadcast yourself. I think that's what it was. And now we have a whole generation, two generations, 40-year-olds playing video games for a living. It's an amazing thing. Yeah. So timing. Sometimes it's time to wait on the Lord. Sometimes it's time to hurry up and get going. Uh, But don't just take people's suggestions. Seek the Lord. Amen. All right. So Jesus does end up going to the feast Mm -hmm. in Judea, but privately. And that leads us to our next section. We've seen how Jesus's brothers didn't believe in him. What about other people? We're going to see some quotes in this next section of different responses of opposition. There's a variety of ways you can reject Jesus and and uh, excuses you can make for not following him. But there were the crowd was divided. Some were for him, some were against. And some were just confused. As people are today. Some yes. are for, some are against, some are... Is there neutrality, though? Can you, can you be neither for him or against him? No, Scripture says that either you are for him or against him. There is no such thing as neutrality. Um, If you say that he is who he said he is, that he is God, then you're for him. If you say he isn't God, then you're against him. If you say, well, I'm not sure, 
Scripture says that it should be obvious mm-hmm. from what he has revealed, who he is, and what he has done. So you are, even by your silence, choosing not to believe mm-hmm. what he said. I told that to someone on the uh, on the path near the wharf a few weeks ago, and it, it stopped him in his tracks. Yeah, because he said, "I'm I'm not I'm not against Jesus. I'm just not a follower." And I said, "Well, by definition, you're against him because he says, come follow me." Yes. So you've rejected that, and he's like. Hmm, I didn't have thought about that. He went away and came back a few minutes later. He said, you know what? Okay, I'm for Jesus now. <laughs> and uh, I got to give him a Bible, and he said he's going to start reading it to find out what he's for now. <laughs> That's but it makes sense if you think about it, because it's, it's much easier not to commit. Uh-huh. Because if you do commit to Jesus, you know, then that's going to change your life. Yeah. It's going to make radical changes to who you are and the way you live. If you reject Jesus, of course, you're going to be alienating maybe friends or family or a good portion of the population. And, and maybe you know enough to know that he was special and he was unique. And so you should take him seriously. So sometimes the most convenient decision for us is to just kind of float in the middle somewhere. And there's not a lot of new answers that people give about Jesus. So it's kind of neat what we're, we're going to get into and we'll, uh, we'll develop this theme here of the different views of Jesus. Let's read uh, verse by verse again. I'll start in verse 11 and we'll go through this section to verse 14. Sounds great. Or 15. The Jews were looking for him at the feast, saying, Where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said, He is a good man, others said, No, he is leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? Okay, so just in that section, there's one, two, three, four quotes of different people from the crowd. So I'm taking this as four different ways of responding to Jesus. First question they pose is, where is Jesus? The Jews were looking for him. Yes. Where is he? And, and I've heard that from people on the show. Hey, I'm going through suffering. Where is God when you know a child gets hit by a car or when my loved one is taken from me before what I would think is their time? Where is God? Now, Jesus was there hidden, but he was there. He was there. Just like in our lives when those difficult things come up, Jesus has a reason and Jesus has perfect timing. It can be difficult and even painful to trust in his timing and to wait. But in every case, there's a reason, isn't there? He's He's got a plan and he's got a purpose. And even though we don't have all the information, we can trust him because he is trustworthy. I like this quote from uh, Pastor Chuck Smith. Mm-hmm. He said, don't give up what you know because of what you don't know. Amen. In other words, you might not know the reason why he's allowing the suffering, but don't give up the knowledge that he is good because you don't know the answer to that question. You can still know that he is good mm-hmm. with with without those unknowns being revealed. And they one day will be revealed. Think of the book of Job. And if there's anybody that epitomizes that, it's Job, isn't it? I mean, he, and he continued to trust in God and said, even if he slays me, even if he kills me, I'll trust in him. And he had his whole family taken away, his fortune taken away, his health taken away. And God never answered him. He never told him why, but he continued to trust in God and God blessed him and and returned that and more. 
So if you're wondering, where is Jesus? You can take comfort in knowing what Jesus said at the end of the Gospel of Matthew. He said, go into all the world and preach the Gospel in all nations, make disciples, and I'll be with you always. So for believers, we have the assurance of his presence with us wherever we go in the whole world. And this has comforted me as someone who's lived in other countries for 11 years and now moved back to an America that's different than the one I grew up in. The last decade. But Jesus is with us, and that brings comfort. Now, I don't think we're maybe reading too much into it for application purposes. Some people were just wondering where Jesus was. This is a big feast. He had been teaching publicly. There was a there was a, a desire for the crowd to see him. Some wanted to kill him, but some, what the next quote, they said, he is a good man. What are we to make of that? Is Jesus just a good man? I don't think that... I mean, he was certainly good, and he was certainly a man. But can he be a mere man and say the kind of things that he said? No, I don't think so. Now, what's what's that, that uh, uh, trifold dilemma that we talk about? Yeah, it's C.S. Lewis's trichotomy. Mm-hmm. Uh, is Jesus... Like, if someone says Jesus was a good teacher, and I heard Elon Musk say this to the Babylonian Bee. I don't know if you saw that video. I saw most of it. That <laughs> yeah. fascinating. At the end of it, they asked him, uh, Elon, would you do us a solid and accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior? <laughs> <laughs> it's at the end. And Elon's answer was, well, I don't necessarily follow Jesus, but I believe his, he is a good teacher. I believe in his teachings. He's, he's, he's a good man. Yeah. Turn the other cheek. Good teaching, Jesus. But that doesn't make sense. Because you can't be the be a good man and, and say, I mean, just saying that, you know, uh, um, I am the son of God, or, you know, you can only come to the Father. That doesn't make any sense. I like the way that C.S. Lewis put it. Do you, you have that quote? I do have that quote. You want to read it? Do you want me to read it? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. I mean, I, I'd say because you brought it up when we were on the Flight 1080 show the other day. Yeah, I've read this before. I had a great quote. One of the evangelists that that taught me how to evangelize, he had this printed out on his track table for years, and he would sometimes hand it out at the appropriate time. So listen to this. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity said the following, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish things Thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is one thing we must not say. A man who is who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be at the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Yes. Amen. And yeah, it's, it, it still uh, amazes me how many, how few people know just how deep some of C.S. Lewis's stuff. This is the C.S. Lewis that wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, which in the wardrobe, but he yeah. had some amazing spiritual insights. Thanks for sharing. That. Yeah, that's a good book. If highly recommend mere Christianity. Yeah. One of my favorites as well. So they said he's a good man. 
Jesus was good. And some people get that confused when there was the rich young ruler who said to Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus asked, why do you call me good? There's no one good but God. Was he saying he wasn't good there? No, he was saying he was God. (laughs) And questioning him on why he sensed that Jesus was good. I think there's a connection he was trying to get him to make. Also redefining the word good. Like we use it to say, oh, you're a good man. Like you're nicer than other people. But good in the sense of moral excellence. Only Jesus is good. Jesus is the only good man. Do you consider yourself to be a good person? Question we often ask people. And you don't have to dig very deep to figure out that none of us is good by God's standard. Yeah. In this section, Jesus says, none of you keeps the law. And that's true of me. I have not kept the law. And that's why I need a Savior. Do you need a Savior? I'm pretty sure. We're saved, but we still need the Savior. We do. Every day. So, what's the next quotation from the crowd? Well, he, first he was a, he is a good man. Another said, no, he is leaving, leading people astray. Mm. So, the opposite view. He's a bad teacher because he's leading people astray. Astray from what? Well, astray from God's, from God's word, from God's command, from... Well, I mean, if he's blaspheming and saying that he is equal to God, that would be really the ultimate leading people astray if it wasn't true. Mm -hmm. One of the things that if someone was a false prophet in the Old Testament, they would stone them and they would know he's a false prophet if it doesn't come to pass. But you would also know he's a false prophet if it does come to pass, but he leads you after other gods or if they say that they are God. But Jesus made himself equal with God by saying he's the son of God. Again, if that's true, then that's not blasphemy. And he's not leading them astray. In fact, he he's showing them the way. No, he's not showing them the way. He is the way, yes. as he claimed to be, the way, the truth, and the life. Through him. Yeah, but he couldn't be just a good moral teacher if he claimed to be. You have to believe. Imagine if someone here said that today. You have to believe in me to have eternal life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know what? I if, if somebody said that, I don't think there would be a lot of folks recommending that you follow that guy or go to his church. Uh-huh. And you know what? It's interesting. When we see people in practice that actually have made those kind of claims, uh, a couple of examples are David Koresh and Jim Jones. And then what happened as the result of what they taught? Destruction. Yes. Amazing destruction. Don't drink the Kool-Aid, folks. <laughs> yes. So Jesus's answer to these claims is coming up. But there's one more quote here from some of the Jews. They marveled in verse 15, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? What do they mean? Was Jesus illiterate? No, although I've heard that claim usually about his followers more than about him. But no, I think in the context, it's just talking about rabbinical training. Yeah. Because we're talking about the the intellectual elite of the Jewish nation that are making this claim about him. So he's not a, a rabbi by our standards, but something powerful behind what he was saying. They're trying to figure out where it came from. Yeah, they weren't even denying that he has learning, that he has understanding. They're just asking, how did he get it? And where did he get it from? Since he didn't go to our schools. Correct. He couldn't have gone somewhere else to get formal training about the God of the Bible. Uh Yeah. 
Well, we do know that Jesus grew up in Nazareth, and when he started his ministry and when he did ministry in Nazareth, he went back to that that uh, synagogue, and he opened the scriptures and read from it. So, of course, we know Jesus knows how to read. He also wrote on the ground, so he knows how to write. I mean, there's internal evidence that shows Jesus had great knowledge of the scriptures, and he was raised by a mom and uh, stepdad, Joseph, who also knew the scriptures and obeyed God. I'm sure they taught him. So it's not that he never studied ever, but it's that he didn't get his credentials from the Pharisees. Yes. So that's something that's not necessary for someone to come to know God. It's not like you have to get your authority from man to, to say that you know God. God can reveal himself to people. But Jesus here is a unique case. He's He is God. So he knows where he's from and he, where he's going and who he is. The Son of Man is Son of God. Yeah. I think there's something that we can learn from that, too. I think there is a tendency to be tribalistic in what we accept as true. Denominational. Denominational, um, even beyond religious, even to politics. Since you got your information from somebody other than our group, mm. um, we're not going to accept that what you say is is true. The reason I bring it up is because, like we talked about earlier, there's a, a humility issue. Mm-hmm. If you only accept truth from your little group, then you're going to miss a lot of truth. Mm. That's interesting. On some of the last shows we did going through John, we talked about Calvinism and Arminianism and yeah. kind of a middle position. Um, Calvary Chapel is not Calvinist, but I know several Calvary pastors that do study Reformed uh, theology in, in commentaries. and they're, Some of the best commentaries are written by Calvinists or Reformed theologians. Um, we, we can learn from people outside our group. That's important. Otherwise, we, what would be the danger of only listening to people in your group? You're, you're in. You're basically in a bubble. Yeah. Confirmation bias is mm-hmm. the phrase that's used sometimes. Mm. You know, you only study enough to support what you already believe to be true, and if you mm-hmm. do that, it's really hard. To I think the key also is learning to discern God's voice and God's authority, and what's the best way we can hear directly from God, because a lot of people claim to hear from the Spirit of God, but they'll say things that are against Scripture. The Scriptures, we believe, is the, is the final rule for a, for faith and practice, because it's revealed by God. It's inspired, God-breathed, and men of God wrote as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So, Jesus just didn't get his authority from man. He got it from God. And so, his teaching is unique. Yes. Um, let's look at some of that unique teaching in section number three for today, verse 6. 16 through 19. Yes. Shall we read through that section? Yes. So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? We'll pause there before we hear their response to that question. Uh, But Jesus' teaching is 
is very unique. And I think this word, but, is right in the middle of verse 18. It contrasts Jesus' teaching with everyone else's. He says, the one who speaks on his, own, on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there's no falsehood. So one of the differences with Jesus' teaching is who is he seeking to glorify? He's seeking to glorify the Father rather than himself. Mm-hmm. He was by nature God. He was worthy to be glorified, but he always deferred to the Father. That's something that a lot of people, I think, have a real problem wrapping their heads around, that within the being of God, there could be any um, authority structure. I'm thinking of a conversation I had with some people who they started a a house group, like a Bible uh, prayer Christian group. Mm -hmm. I know them from from a particular church. I won't name the church, but they weren't uh, an official group of the church. They are starting their own group, and they thought they didn't need to have any authority over them. They were, and I asked, who's who's the, where do you get your authority for this group? Um, and they said, we, we have our own authority from us, from ourselves. And I wanted to run. <laughs> uh, I let them know, I'm not going to be a part of this group, um, but uh, I'll pray for you. Uh, because Jesus says, the one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. You know, a lot of people are about building their own ministries. Yeah. And this is one of the reasons why Dan and I have oacnorcal.org and Dwell on Truth. I'm letting that just be the name of the radio show that we use together. I don't want to build my own ministry or establish my own glory. Yeah. Now, of course, being honest, our flesh would love to be recognized by others and affirmed by others. And But I have to give glory to whom glory is due, and that's only to God. Someone actually said to me on Sunday, what you're doing out there on the street, I bow to you. You've got great, that's where you should be doing. And I was like, don't bow to me. I'm just a man. Like, and he didn't mean it that way, but he's like, I bow my hat, like I tip my hat to you or something like that. But that's a, that's a good point. And I really appreciate you being willing to do that because I have seen in my own experience, once again, I will leave names out of it, <laughs> but good and godly men who I think started with the best of intentions who can really get wrapped up or have gotten wrapped up in building something, building some kind of a legacy or an organization or something um, that I think ended up distracting them from their core mission. Yeah. And we're not saying that having an organization is bad. Open Air Campaigners is an organization. I've heard some people that say, I'm, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. The most recent one who said this just a couple days ago, I asked him, what's the difference between religious and spiritual? And he said, organization. So I was like, so you you have an unorganized religion and you're against organized religion. <laughs> is that the organizing of it is the bad thing? I'm kind of mocking it a little bit, but the point is the church is an organism. It's a living, breathing body of people that Jesus says, I will build my my church. And so there is some order. There's a foundation. There's He puts each brick, each person, if you will, into the church as he wants. And open air campaigners, it isn't a church, but it's what's called a parachurch organization. It comes alongside to help the 
church. And if the church had positions of evangelists, I would probably be working in the church. But the modern church typically doesn't employ evangelists as one of the payroll. They they pay me as a sound guy, but there's no evangelist position I've I could apply for. There's a few churches have them, and and I'm hoping in the future that more churches will see that necessity. Yeah. And it really yeah. is a necessity. They have ordained me as a missionary, but uh, as as my church. But man or it's not man ordaining; it's man recognizing what God has ordained. That's important. Paul, when he opened up his epistles, he said, "I'm an apostle, not by man's authority, not by the will of man or of the flesh, but of God." It's really important to know what is God calling you to do, and then do that. Who is God calling you to be? That's all that you can be. You can't be anything other than He's calling you to be. And, and maybe just as a, a final note on that, think about this, my friends. If you say I don't need an authority structure above me, even God the Son recognized an authority mm. structure within the being of God. How arrogant is it for somebody else to say I don't need something that even Jesus recognized? Well, it echoes the first one who said that. Yeah, Satan. That's right. <laughs> said, I will be like the Most High. I will ascend. Yep. And I don't need to be under God. And then he tempted Adam and Eve to make he fell. similar, you know, proclamation, didn't he? Yeah, it's demonic. It is. It is, absolutely. But speaking of demonic, that's what's coming up next. <laughs> they try to claim that Jesus is demonic. They try to turn the tables and deny the truth. Uh, but before we get to that, Jesus has a couple of pointed questions for them in verse 19. That I think we should think about. Yes. Has not Moses given you the law? That's a good question. Yeah, of course he has. Yes. Moses, the law of Moses, we all, we all know the Ten Commandments. Yeah. Although Moses didn't write them himself. No, those were actually written by the finger of God. Okay. So if, if we got the law of Moses, what's he say next? Not one of you keeps the law. So in a sense, they're trying to say Jesus is a bad guy. And he's saying, no, you are the bad guys. Yes. No one is good except for Jesus. On a personal scale, on a personal level, we each need to come to that realization for ourselves. Just compare yourself to the law. It's like a mirror. You look into it to realize what kind of mess you're in. Oh, but wait a minute. You're like a, a street missionary. Don't you keep the law? <laughs> Aren't you a good example for people to follow? I try to, but I failed so many times. And that so that can't be the basis for my relationship with God. We use the law lawfully by using it as a mirror. It shows you the dirt on your face, but you don't use the mirror to clean the dirt off your face. The mirror shows you your need for the water so you can go and wash. So also the law of Moses shows us our need for Jesus so we can go to him and be cleansed. But as long as someone is trying to justify themselves by the law, that's a good question. Do you read the law? Do you think you can be justified by that? You don't keep the law. None of you keeps the law, Jesus says. It seems like the whole Jewish sacrificial and temple system, I mean, all of it really was foreshadowing. I mean, it was to show them that they, because, you know, you go back to the nation of Israel, mm-hmm. they're given more detailed laws than just about anybody in history. Yeah. And they failed at keeping them every time. Even after God says, you're going to fail, they said, no, we're going to follow you. And then they failed anyway. Right. That doesn't mean we just throw out the law. Oh, it's too high a standard. Let's just make a lower standard. It means that we uphold the law when we say, I deserve to go to the cross. And Jesus fulfilled the law, not only in his sinless life, he was tempted in every way, and yet without sin, but also in 
his giving his life to pay the punishment that the law required for our sins. What an amazing gift. So that's the good news that Dan and I love to preach. But it comes via the law. Jesus used the law in this way to let it convict you and to shut every mouth from justifying themselves. That's why God gave us the law. Yeah, I would encourage you guys, we would encourage you guys to look at God's law yourself and just be honest and and humble and see how well you've kept the law. Have you lied? Have you stolen something? Have you looked with lust, which Jesus said is committing adultery? Or have you hated someone and committed murder in your heart? Or have you made anything in a higher place in the things that are important to you um, than God himself? Have you ever made something more important than God? I know I have. So, yeah, that's breaking the two tablets of the law. First four commandments are about loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We have to admit, we haven't always loved Him with everything that is within us all the time. I haven't one, for one day of my life loved God the way I should. In the minute. Yeah, and the other half, the, the, uh, the other six commandments are about loving our neighbors as ourselves. And it's real easy to love ourselves, but not to love others as much as we love ourselves. So, yeah, we're guilty, and that's why we need a Savior. But they didn't realize that, and so that's why Jesus asked. Uh, The next question Jesus asked before they tried to turn the tables on him, he says, Why do you seek to kill me? Why do you seek to kill me? I would I would en- emphasize the first word, why? Because it says in the prophets that they would hate him without a cause. Yes. Without a good reason. Yes. They didn't have a justification for wanting to kill him. Not, not a godly justification. Mm-hmm. Jealousy is the main one. Mm-hmm. Jealousy. They wanted to have their own authority, their own following. And when Jesus had more followers than them, he threatened their view of themselves. So they don't really answer Jesus. They don't admit to seeking to kill him. They deny the truth in this next verse. And uh, we're going to need to wrap it up probably with this verse. And then next week, carry on with how Jesus responds. But the crowd answered, you have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Yeah. What does that mean? Basically, they're saying, what's wrong with you? Are you crazy? It it, it sounds like a, a dismissal, like there was something wrong with him for even making such a claim. Now, the crowd did not see outwardly, I think, what the leaders had planned for Jesus. So they just saw him as a teacher and they were kind of interested in what he was saying. But at the same time, the the Jewish leaders were were ready to, I mean, they had already tried to kill him at least once. There is a divided crowd here. And we want to make a distinction when it says the Jews were seeking to kill him in uh, verse one, I believe. Um, yeah, it doesn't mean that all of the Jews were seeking to kill him, but it's speaking about the, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the leaders of the Jewish people, who some of them followed, some of them didn't. Some were afraid to, to say what they really thought. Um, but this is in response to when Jesus said, you are seeking to kill me. Why are you seeking to kill me? I'm not sure if it's the ones that were seeking to kill him that answered, or if it was the crowd that, that didn't know that the Pharisees were seeking to kill him. I think there was a lot of muttering about it already. Yeah, There were probably accusations flying already that were grounds for execution. So I, I think it was understood that there was a hostility toward Jesus at this time. But I would just point out the tactic 
take that they're taking. And I hope this helps some listeners too, because maybe someone's used this tactic on you that they use on Jesus. And you can find comfort in realizing that Jesus had to suffer this kind of manipulation and abusive language. First, they're demonizing him. You have a demon, literally demonizing him. (laughs) This may even be a parallel. I'm not entirely sure I have to do more studies. But in other gospels, they say he's speaking by another spirit, by Beelzebub or by Baal, or it's by these, uh, these demons that he's casting out evil spirits. And Jesus warns them about the sin of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, because his teaching wasn't his own. He was speaking by the Holy Spirit, and they're saying he has an evil spirit, right. blaspheming the Holy Spirit, potentially. Yeah, attributing the works of God to the devil. I, I can't think of anything more mm-hmm. horrendous than that. And the second part of what they accused him of was just not being in touch with reality, mm-hmm. saying, who is seeking to kill you? As in a, an abusive relationship, someone might, it's called gaslighting today, where you try to make someone feel ashamed as if they're not in touch with reality. What are you, crazy? What are you, stupid? You know, belittling someone. They did that to the, the most wise human being that ever walked the earth as a cover for really, I think, their own insecurity. They didn't have an answer for why people were seeking to kill Jesus. No, it didn't work. And so it was to deflect. Yes. So just beware of that. Jesus will answer them, and he gives good answers. And if you have questions, we encourage you to ask. You can pray. You can ask God, where are you? You can ask him. He's not afraid of your questions. You can tell him what you think about him if he's if you think he's a good man, but you're open to evidence to the contrary, of that he's more than just a good man, that he's God. We'd encourage you to pray. We encourage you to read your Bible, because there are good answers. If you think that Jesus is leading you astray, I'm on a roll, sorry for hogging the mic here, reviewing some of these things we've looked at. If you think Jesus may be leading some people astray, like my sister thinks I'm lost because I follow Jesus, and she's trying to rescue me from the delusion that I'm under. Um, Well, if you think that's true, then look into the evidence. If you think that Jesus just came up with these things on his own, well, then how come he was the most influential person in all of human history. Yes. That's uh, without question, without argument. We define our time by Jesus to the year 2022. Are you going to continue to deny that Jesus was even a historical person? Speaking to you extreme atheists who, <laughs> who, who, if you take that position, you can't believe in anyone being a historical person because you just reject history. So we, Dan and I, are here because we're not trying to belittle these questions. We're just trying to show the truth is found in embracing, receiving, accepting, whatever word you want to put it, believing in Jesus. So we want you to turn to him, trust in him, and find life in him. Amen. So I guess that's our ending point for this week. And next week, we're going to be continuing with that passage, um, talking more about Jesus and his interaction with with the Jews and particularly with the Jewish religious leaders. Yeah, we'll get further into that discussion. It's fascinating. And we hope that you'll come back and join us again for another week. Amen. I want to give one recommendation here just at the end. Uh, I would go to JesusFilm.org. They actually have all the gospel, Matthew, 
Mark, Luke, and John films available to watch for free, or at least clips from them. And you could watch this whole section. They did an excellent job with the Gospel of John. And you could watch it there at JesusFilm.org for free. And I really like how the actor portrayed Jesus's uh, conversation. So be blessed by that and continue to dwell on truth. Why? Because your soul matters. And if you're wondering who's sponsoring this radio show today, that would be an anonymous donors. We're not having business advertisers anymore, but we just want to let you know that generous Christians have given so that we can pay for the airtime of the Dwell on Truth show and the podcast, which also there's a cost for that, but that is provided by the Lord. So if you're thankful for the show, give thanks to the Lord. Amen. Amen. You're listening to AM 1080 KSEO in Santa Cruz.